0: Listen up, muckerfuthers. If you just can't get enough of 83 weeks, we've got tons more waiting for you over at adfreeshows.com. Bonus episodes, all the archives with zero, yes, I said zero ads. Plus, we've got interactive events and experiences with yours truly. You can ask me anything. Chat one-on-one during our live, locked-and-loaded events. And if you joined us in Chicago this year for Top Guy Weekend, we got to hang out the entire freaking weekend, weekend, and it was a blast. I can't wait for Top Guy Weekend 2022. Hey, want to hear me rip Greg Gagne, Vince Russo, and others? A new one. On our popular Eric Fires Back series, I eviscerate Twitter trolls on Tweet receipts, plus bonus watch-alongs and tons more. Do yourself a favor right now Google the internet and you won't find a better value in all of wrestling than over at adfreeshows.com. You not only get 83 weeks, but all of Conrad Thompson's podcasts early and ad-free and on video for as low as $9 a month. Come on, man. You can't beat it. Join the family today at adfreeshows.com.
1: Hey y'all, it's Rebel with AEW. And when I'm not with the doctor helping her dominate the women's division, you can find me on adfreeshows.com every other Sunday, hosting my personal happy hour, Rebel's Happy Hour. And I would love for you to join me. It's an hour long of drinking, laughing, a little Q&A, maybe some guest surprises, and just chatting about whatever's on your mind. I promise it's a good time. And yes, it is all face to face. So do it now, do it today. Sign up at adfreeshows.com and become a top guy. And tell them Rebel sent you.
2: And i last number, 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Whew.
0: In sports entertainment.
2: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on,
0: man? How are you? I'm doing great,
2: Conrad. How are
0: you? Happy to be alive, blessed to be here, all that good stuff.
2: Man, we are excited to be here with you. I love talking all things 83 weeks. And today we're going to be taking a horse of a different color down the path, if you will. We're talking all things TNA from 2012 as we break down against all odds. What a moment in time this was 10 years ago. God, it feels like more than 10 years to me. How about you, Eric?
0: I I can't wrap my head around it, man. So much has happened in the last 10 years across the boards in every facet of our lives that in, in one respect, when I think, you know, at this stage of my life, 10 years, I look back a oh, while. Wow, that wasn't really that long ago, but this seems like it was five minutes ago. Yeah. In 2011, it just, it's crazy how fast time goes by. And I, and I think a large part of that in large part is because so much has changed in the wrestling business. So much has changed. The television business has changed so dramatically. Everything's changed crazy. It's a fun ride. Glad I'm on it.
2: Oh, me too, man. You know, it's, it, it is the opposite for me though, because so much it has changed. It feels like forever, like in this era, TNA was, was firmly the number two wrestling promotion in the world. And there's a lot of big moving parts And these days, man, there's been so many changes, not just with, with impact, but with WWE and, and of course, AEW now. And, uh, it's, um, wrestling right now is a little bit like the weather in Alabama. If you don't like it, just wait a few minutes. It'll change.
0: Well, I guess so. You know, I, since I've been spending time down in Huntsville with you and your family and people that we work with together, <clears throat> I've been, you know, I track the weather. It's like wherever I have friends or family that I'm close to, I get up in the morning. I, first thing I do is I check the weather here in Cody, Wyoming and see what I'm in for <laughs> for the day. And then I, you know, I go to uh, Minneapolis and see what my brother and sister are doing. And then I go to Huntsville. And I go, oh, I wonder what it's like in Huntsville. And, you know, so far this winter, I, I think I'll take my winter over yours. <laughs> after a couple of days. And then I mosey my way down on my app down to uh, Clearwater, Florida. Check out the weather, you know, where my my son and his wife, Mary Jane, and my grandson, Way J, Waylon James, um, they live. And it's like, fuck, I should be there. <laughs> I should be there. But. It's fun, but yeah, you all been getting your, ad. did you hear me say y'all I oh did? Hey, you're,
2: we're rubbing off on you, man.
0: Oh my God. I'm watching Alabama play football <laughs> on Saturdays and using y'all in my conversation.
2: I've ruined you. I've ruined you.
0: That's all right. I like it.
2: Hey, so, uh, before we get going, uh, I guess we should address the, uh, <clears throat> elephant in the room this past week, we did an Eric fires back that, uh, really set ad shows.com on fire. Uh, our, our social media crew helped us post some links online and golly, that stuff blew up, man. Um, in hindsight, any regrets or are you happy? you shredded everybody like I had a head of cabbage.
0: <laughs> Hell no. I have no regrets and neither do the thousands, thousands of people that have responded to some of those video clips. And, you know, I mean, look, the clips were good. But that entire, I don't know how long that whole thing took, an hour and a half, yeah, maybe. That whole hour and a half, there's 90 minutes of just nothing but flames, and I love the Heat is life, (laughs) brother. See what I mean when I say that? Heat is life. People loved it. I have overwhelmingly like 99.999 super positive responses to the stuff that was posted. I'm just glad I can put smiles on faces.
2: I don't think I will ever get over your simulated phone call uh, with the attorney for Gary, Michael Capetta. That is probably peak Eric Bischoff comedy for me. I've probably played it at least 20 times.
0: The only thing I left out, Conrad, I'm sorry for cutting you off. The only thing I left out in, in my reference to Gary, Michael Capetta is what kind of a douche are you to give yourself or to use your middle name? You know, that's, to me, that's like the first indication of somebody that has a much higher opinion of themselves than they really should. His name isn't Gary Capetta. It's Gary Michael Capetta. Like somehow using your middle name um, (laughs) elevates you in some sort of way. It doesn't, man. You're a fucking doorman at Domino's. You know, that's all you've ever been. So, anyway, let's get off Gary. I I think I handled him enough
2: actually like Gary. He's always been nice to me. And, uh, I'm nice to people who are nice to me. And but I do agree with you on the three name thing in that. Cause I started to think who else do we know who uses three names? Uh, Maxwell, Jacob Friedman, MJF. So yeah, maybe you're on to something with your douche train here. Let's jump into it. Lots going on here in early 2012. And uh, what we're talking about is, um, and this is kind of a cool idea here. Monday night raw in this era is going to have the four horsemen announced as going into the hall of fame. Now what's interesting about this is Ric Flair works for TNA. Mm. Think about that. They're going to induct the four horsemen into the WWE hall of fame. And they make that announcement on January 9th. Hey, this is the year the horsemen go in. Everyone agrees they deserve it, but the leader of the doggone thing works for the competition. How did that news strike you, Eric, that. Rick Flair is going into the WWE for a second time, but he works for us in TNA. What say you?
0: It's the forbidden door. It's, it's, it's that thing that, uh, nobody expected it. I don't think Rick expected it. I thought it was cool as hell. I think, and I think it, to a degree, it dispels some of the perception out there that WD, if you're in another organization, WWE doesn't want to have anything to do with you. I mean, for legal reasons, probably to certain In certain um, situations, they can't work with you. They're going to put you on camera necessarily unless there's some kind of agreement so that nobody ends up suing each other, feeding their attorneys. Um, But I think it was cool. I was excited for Rick. I was excited for TNA. I thought it was good for TNA. I I, I thought it was one of the best things that could have happened to TNA. Um, So it was all good, man.
2: It's interesting too, because what's new is, uh, or what's old is new again, because this past January, last month, the impact women's champion appeared in the Royal rumble. So 10 years later, they're still doing stuff together.
0: I want to make, mention- they're still doing stuff together. And Mickey came out with her belt. Think about that. Yeah. That's a big deal. That's what I, I thought. That was a bigger, that, that had a more, um, significant impact on me than the fact that Mickey was going in the Royal rumble that, that didn't surprise me. Quite honestly, I would have been surprised if they wouldn't have done it. But to have her come out and let her, you know, bring her belt from another company on WWE television, premiere event, whatever they call them. Um, I thought that was really significant. A big show was
2: announced here for January twenty eighth. It's gonna be a TV taping at Wembley Arena. Meltzer would say it's expected to have at least 8,000 fans there. And he said, quote, it'll probably be the best atmosphere they've ever had at a taping. So the costs for TNA are insane, not just production, but just traveling all the talent over there. We've often heard at different times TNA was in some rather dire financial straits, but here is where you have your best crowds across the pond what do you think of this move? You were an advocate once before in WCW. Hey, let's cut our costs and let's quit going out on the road. But then in TNA, you said, Hey, if we're going to compete, we've got to go back out on the road. We can't just stay in the soundstage. And man, when you guys went anywhere in the UK, they were wrestling crazed. They were ready for impact. Were they not?
0: They were. And you know, a little bit of a difference when, when I went into the cost cutting mode at WCW early on, w- when I was able to actually make decisions for the company as opposed to just being a team member. Um, yeah. One of the first things I did is cut down house shows and reduce expenses as much as I could cut travel as much as I could uh, did a lot of things to, to stop the bleeding, so to speak. But once that bleeding stopped and we were able to start investing in ourselves and investing in our future as a result of just again, cost cutting and half assed decent management, um, it became real clear to me that you know Europe and UK in particular was a place that we needed to be. And when when I heard about this in TNA, I was fully supportive of it. I completely understood it. I wasn't as excited about it as I think um, Dixie was, and she may have been very well correct. Um, she was more involved in the international television business and, and all that than I was. I, I didn't know anything about it. But Dixie was really excited about it because she she felt she had a really good TV partner in the UK, and she really felt that this would be a, a strong way to establish TNA uh, in Europe. And and I didn't I didn't disagree with her then at all. I was fully supportive. But I think she was probably more right than I realized at the time because that was a. TNA, you know, you, you mentioned it at uh, different times, you know, they had different cash flow situations and problems. <clears throat> they did and they didn't. You know, they had, you know, the Carter family was certainly able. Excuse me, one second. Oh, I'm going to use my cough button. Do I have a cough button on yeah. this gimmick? Yes, you do. Hold on. I got to find it. I don't even really have to cough anymore, but now I want to find it. That's oh, a- I just go to mute, right? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that was a fake-off. Carter's had plenty of money. Of course. Right? They could have easily funded TNA's growth to the extent that TNA would still be a viable and profitable company today, had they choose to. And the relationship between Dixie and the Carter family, because it wasn't just Janice calling the shots. You know, Bob Carter was involved, her father, as well as Janice, her mother. But she also had brothers that were on the board that had a voice and, and had an opinion that mattered. So Dixie was, you know, we often, I often, I'll speak for myself, you know, Dixie pretty hard for some of the decisions she made or didn't make. Um, but she was in a tough spot. And occasionally, if the timing was right and Dixie was on her game, she was able to convince the board, including her mother and father and brothers, that a, a, an investment in TNA was a good idea. And sometimes it would work. Oftentimes it didn't. And the Carter family was of the mindset that, no, your business cash flows itself. We got you started. We got you on the map. Now it's yours, which I understand too, and I kind of respect. Um, And that was the difference between when TNA was kind of flush with cash and could make some moves and when they weren't. And in this particular situation, Dixie was able, I'm sure, to justify the expense to the board and was able to pull this off. And looking back, I think it was a great idea.
2: What are you waiting for? Hurry up and go to SaveWithConrad.com. Hurry up and start saving money. That's what we're talking about. Keeping more of your own money. That really is what we do with SaveWithConrad.com. How's this for starters? No house payments for two months. And when it comes time for you to start making payments two months from now, it's going to be the best deal you ever had. You see, not only are we going to get you the best interest rate you ever had. We're also going to help you get out of debt faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. Now, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. But if you're in a 30 year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It really is a matter of how much. And I'm sure, you know, by now your house is worth more than ever before. Why not use that newfound equity to get rid of your private mortgage insurance. That PMI as we like to call it could save you hundreds of dollars each and every month, and you could be paying it unnecessarily. Stop giving your money away. Get rid of your PMI, get the best rate you ever had. And Hey, if you've got credit card debt, what are you doing? The average interest rate is over 19% on credit cards in America, and you know you can do better than that. Plus, the interest you pay on a credit card is not tax-deductible. So not only can we get you a better rate, but a greater tax deduction too. If you can get a lower monthly payment and a greater tax deduction and save tens of thousands of dollars by paying your house off faster, why wouldn't you? Hurry, find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, and that's right. Don't forget, skip your next two payments at save Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit GoliathLife.com. And I mean right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their 40s this past year and a half, and I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it. Protect your family. And I suggest you go to GoliathLife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle, hell not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. Let's talk about uh, you know, we just talked about everything's full circle. It, it comes out that this will be the last set of TV tapings on the road. So at this point, spike had been paying for parts of the cost of, uh, the production and the travel and what have you, but the ratings just weren't moving at all. So I guess spike's going to start pulling back in in their ability to kick in. How big of a setback was this for the company? When you realize, Hey man, we tried going out on the road. Maybe it didn't work as well as we hoped. And now we're going to be stuck back in the impact zone.
0: Yeah, that it was, I was really disappointed in that decision, um, and, you know, I, I love working with Kevin K who was the head of spike at the time, which is now Viacom. Um, Scott Fishman was just, I've worked with a lot of television executives, both in the wrestling business and outside of the wrestling business. And man, Scott Fishman was such a huge supporter. And while he didn't, you know, try to profess to know anything about the wrestling business like it's some magical thing. I mean, sure, the wrestling industry has got a lot of unique, you know, uh, aspects to it that you don't come across in the in the course of business in in any other form of television. But it's basically the same thing. You know, it, television is television. It's all about entertainment, and unfortunately, as much as I love working with Scott Fishman and even Kevin K. They just didn't have the patience necessary to really build upon TNA's initial success. Meaning you don't just say, okay, we're going to go out on the road and you go out for three or four weeks and you don't get the results you want and go, man, we're not doing that anymore. Mm. That's a really bad decision. It was a great decision to go out on the road, but it was a bad decision if the idea was, well, let's try it a couple of times and see if it works. You can't build anything like that. You have to establish yourself and you have to grow incrementally. You don't have to, you know, for example, in in taking a show on the road, you know, it's not like you have to go from 2,000 people showing up one week to 4,500 people showing up the next week to 7,000 people. That's unrealistic. That's, That's childlike thinking. But if you can grow incrementally over the course of a year or two years and establish to the audience over a, a length of time, this fucking TNA thing is a party I don't want to miss. That's what makes live TV, That's what, may, especially wrestling, because the crowd is such a huge part of what makes wrestling work. We've seen that in the pandemic. I used to say, before anybody ever – thought of COVID in a pandemic and being locked down and not having crowds and arenas, right? Three years ago, if somebody would have said that would happen, you would think that's something out of some kind of fantasy sci-fi book, right? Well, once it happened, a lot of people were affected by it in the entertainment industry. Obviously anybody that was in a live touring business was affected by it. Television was affected by it. Even, you know, shows that don't have live audiences like sitcoms or, or, or dramas, you know, it, They were affected by it. But I think wrestling was far more affected than anybody else because a live crowd is such an integral part of what, what we do, what, what people do when they produce wrestling. And once that crowd was taken out of it, we all saw what wrestling looked like with no crowd. And I think one thing we can all agree on in this wacky world of professional wrestling, Dave Meltzer, is that the crowd is 75% of the show. If you don't have a great crowd and you're out there wrestling, and I used the example before, you may remember it, Conrad. I said, could you imagine, and I I used this reference with regard to Dixie and TNA, kept signing people because they were WWE guys and expecting the world to change overnight, which is unrealistic. I said, Dixie, you could drop Undertaker in from a fucking helicopter right into the, into the center of the ring and have him wrestle John Cena in TNA, and you're not going to get the result you think you are, especially if there's nobody in the audience. Imagine what that match looks like with nobody in the crowd. Imagine your favorite wrestling match of all time, Conrad, and imagine it happening in an empty arena. Yeah, It's just not the same thing. And that's what happened with TNA. So I was circling back eventually. Oh, my God, I do talk too much. Shit. The rumor's true. After going through this process, had TNA, in my opinion, stuck to the live touring format, yes, you would lose money. You're going to lose money. Any business, Conrad, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're probably smarter about it. Not probably. You're smarter about this stuff than I am. Can you think of any business that's profitable immediately? Very Unless pure. you're a or you're, you're, you know, you're selling drugs on the street corner. Can you think of any legitimate business that's profitable immediately?
2: No, I mean, I'm sure there are a few random little exceptions here or there, but by and large, the old adage, it takes money to make money is very true.
0: And that's that's what applied here. Had the Carter family been committed to a two or three year plan to establish TNA on the road as a viable live event television property, it would have worked it does take time but it would have worked had spike been committed enough to offset the production costs so it didn't have to come from internal funding at tna it would have worked but spike wasn't really willing to invest more money than they already had in hopes of it turning around in 3 years and it was really TNA's responsibility to make that happen it was the franchise's opportunity to grow itself it wasn't Spike's obligation to grow somebody else's franchise but had either of those two parties come together and said okay this is going to be we're going to commit to this we're going to give it 24 months and then we're going to evaluate it even a year because you would be able to see the incremental growth over over a year but to suggest that you're going to see growth And a return on investment in 90 days or 60 days is such, it's childlike.
2: Well, let's talk about, uh, some more news that comes out of Sirius XM. It's an appearance from Kurt angle. And he says, quote, 2011 was a subpar year for the company. And he said, the biggest problem was the lack of communication between the writing team and the creative team. He said he knows that the scripts are done, but then everyone starts changing things. And the end result is a direction that the writers never intended in the first place. He said, Vince Russo writes the shows, but Hogan and Bischoff and others change things at the last minute. He said he's not against the changes and backed Hogan 100%, but he felt this should be done a week before the shows and not at the very last second. He noted Hogan changing the results of the bound for glory made event the night of the show. And he said it worked out for the best, but he didn't like that. He and Robert rude found out about it at the last minute. And he also says he probably shouldn't have been working that match in the first place because he had a torn hamstring. Uh, and he threw in his two cents about Samoa Joe saying he doesn't think the company has done Samoa Joe justice overall. Is that a fair assessment from Kurt of uh, TNA in 2011, in your opinion?
0: I think from Kurt's perspective, it certainly was, but again, Kurt wasn't in any of the creative meetings. He wasn't a part of that process in any way, shape, or form. So his perspective in that interview, I'm sure, was highly influenced by Vince Russo, who's always been a little bitch when it came to being in control. If, he doesn't, if you don't do everything that Vince wants to do, then he gets pouty and he whines and complains to other people. That's been my experience and, and and others with Vince Russo. And I'm sure when Russo had to deal with Kurt and things have changed, it was Bischoff and Hogan. And, in, and I'm, I'm sure that had something to do with it. Hulk was not, you know, and that's one of the other things that's important to dispel here. Hulk wasn't a part of the writing team either. And if in a production meeting, a day of the show, and we did come to TV, usually when we came to TV, TV formats were pretty much done. We had worked on them through the week, the previous week, and and hammered them out. Now, when you get to your production meeting and you're sitting around a table of, I don't know, 10, 12 people, including Dixie, who also wasn't involved in the creative process at all until the day of. Now, there may have been exceptions, don't get me wrong, but for the most part, day to day, Dixie occasionally would stick her head in the door and say, hello, do you guys want to have lunch later?" But that was it. But the team worked on everything a week in advance and I I will say uh, well, by the time we got to TV, there weren't a lot of um, there weren't a lot of there wasn't a lot of unfinished business. We, we knew what we wanted to do. but going back again, you sit at a production table, right It's 10 o'clock in the morning everybody sitting around, some of them only seeing the scripts for the first time. Not everybody that was in that production meeting were a part of the creative team. So a lot of people, Bully Ray, for example, Taz, for example, Terry Taylor, for example, Dixie, as I mentioned, Hulk Hogan, as an example, um, and many others. Keith Mitchell was always a part of those meetings. Jeremy Borash was always a part of those meetings. There were a number of people that were, you know, Al Snow was in those meetings for a long time. Tommy Dreamer was in those meetings occasionally, not, not all the time. So a lot of those people who hadn't seen the script before would go, oh, but wait a minute, when, didn't we do something like that last week? Shouldn't we be? Or, hey, what if we just change that up a little bit to do this? There was a lot of that, and there always will be. There, it's still happening today. In any wrestling company that produces wrestling for television, that situation still exists to this day. It wasn't unique to TNA. But when you take somebody like Kurt Angle, who's not a part of that process, and but he's on the receiving end of it, he has to deal with it, right? Um, it is frustrating. But it's frustrating in large part because you don't really – you don't understand the process, you know there is one, but you're not a part of it, so it doesn't really you can't imagine, well, why couldn't we just have this stuff all figured out and show up and do it? You can, and sometimes it'll it'll be better and sometimes it won't. You need input from everybody. We needed input from Keith Mitchell, we needed input from Terry Taylor. You know, I know on this show I busted on Terry um probably a lot
3: <laughs> you know, over the years.
0: Um and look, Terry was a pain in the ass in a lot of ways. But he was and I've said this on the show before, he was also very good at what he did. He had a very good feel for what things look like on paper and what they're ultimately really going to look like on television and how the crowd is like how the audience is likely to react to it or how it advances a story or not. And that's why you need to sit before you pull the trigger on TV. You need to sit in that room with those people and hear those opinions. But going back to what I started with, the perception that Hulk Hogan was going over the format and changing the format. It's just, it's, Whiny Vince Russo making excuses for himself or not being willing to say, Yeah, fuck, we came up with a better idea. Or once we got in front of everybody, the consensus was that wasn't the best thing in this particular moment. Here's why. That's work, right? That takes work. It's easier to just go, Hey, bro, bro, you know, I love you, man. Bro, I'm doing, bro, I'm doing, bro. You know how it is, bro. Bro, I'm do, bro, this is horrible, man. Fucking Bischoff and Hogan changing everything at the last minute. It's easy to do that. And I get it. And that's what Kurt was hearing. But I also heard you say, yeah, I really didn't like it, you know, that Hulk Hogan, in his opinion, which was incorrect, came in and changed the finish at the last minute. But, but I'm, it was actually, I'm, I was good with that, you know. So it's like, wow, well, we hate it. I don't like it. It's frustrating, but it actually worked out pretty good. I get it. And you know, it's just part of the process. It's one of the frustrating things of being a talent. Yeah. You know, it's right up there with, you know, hurry up and wait. Yeah. S- sit, you know, come to a meeting and sit there for four hours or show up at TV at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. You're not doing anything till nine 30 at night. You find out 10 minutes before you're going out, what you're really going to do. And you're out there for three and a half minutes. You know, it's fun in the beginning, but after a while it's frustrating and you start, you know, picking shit apart as a result of it. But until you're actually the one producing that television, you really don't have much empathy for those who do because you don't understand what they're doing or what they're going through.
2: Man, this past April, I got a little nervous. I started to see my dad start to thin a little bit, not around the waist, but around the top of his head. I got nervous until I remembered that there are only two FDA approved medications that can prevent hair loss and keeps offers both. Keeps offers a simple stress-free way to keep your hair convenient, virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months. means you don't have to leave your home. It's also low cost. Treatment at just $10 a month and keeps offers generic versions. They've got discreet packaging and proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of their competitors and prevention is key treatments can take four to six months to see results. So act fast. And if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, Go to keeps.com slash 83 weeks to get your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash 83 weeks to get your first month free. That's keeps.com slash 83 weeks. That's keeps.com slash 83 weeks.
0: The following announcement has been paid for by the new world order.
2: All right, Eric, let's run one more time out and talk about our friends over at Fields feels is a better way to feel better of course feels is a premium cbd that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best it's hassle free and delivered directly to your door now if you're not familiar with cbd i want to give you a heads up cbd isn't about what you feel it's about what you don't feel stress anxiety pain maybe you've been struggling with nervousness or sleeplessness here's a solution without the harmful side effects you see, CBD is going to naturally help you reduce all of that, the stress, the anxiety, the pain, the sleeplessness, but best of all, with no hangover and no addiction, and this has been something that really worked in the Bischoff household, right, Eric?
0: I absolutely wholeheartedly love this product. And I'll be honest, Conrad, I was cynical at first because I've tried probably a dozen or more different cbd oils over the last two or three years i think um some of it i purchased over the counter <clears throat> because i was curious some of it was uh the product was referred to me by friends or whatever and i've always been disappointed with it it was always like yeah good gimmick but mm, nah, nothing there and when Feels came on and we, as we've talked about before, get an opportunity to sample the product to make sure that we feel good about endorsing it, I was cynical. But I thought, okay, let's give it a shot. And one of the first things I noticed when I opened up the package is there's very specific instructions regarding dosage. Because everybody's, well, everyone's body reacts, everybody's body chemistry reacts slightly differently. So you get a good kind of Um, pathway, a roadmap, if you will, that allows you to kind of adjust dosages based on what your goals are. For example, I'm fortunate, knock on wood, I have no pain. I've got no issues with joint pain or arthritis or any aches and pains from silly stuff that I did growing up. Um, But sleep has always been an issue for me for as long as I can remember. And I thought, wow, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this a shot. So, following the dosage recommendations in the package feels my first night. You know, I, I it's a, a sublingual. You know, you put it under your tongue. And I went to sleep, and I don't think I have ever had a deep sleep. And I want to bring up something that's really important about that. There's a difference between knocking yourself out with narcotics, even melatonin, you know, things like that over the counter. I've tried melatonin years I've tried it off and on and it puts me to sleep but unfortunately I wake up with a head that feels like a bucket of wet cement and it takes me three hours to kind of get out of the fog so melatonin didn't work for me but feels put me into a real deep sleep it's called wrap movement or REM state you know you when you're in a deep sleep when you have vivid dreams that you can recall when you wake up And I went into such a deep sleep and I woke up and honestly, I felt more refreshed than I think I ever had because I was able to get into that complete deep sleep not a surface sleep or every little noise wakes you up or, you know, if you're slightly uncomfortable, it wakes you up. I mean, I went out, I laid down. I don't think my head moved for six and a half or seven hours until I woke up and I woke up feeling awesome. I love this product. And I've even experimented with dosages now where, for example, if I get up in the morning and I'm working on something that I have to focus on and I really, really want to focus and not be distracted and be thinking about other things, there's even a dosage recommendation for focus during the course of the day. And because you don't get that THC high or anything remotely close to that, nothing associated with it, it not only does it help me sleep at night, but at certain times during the day, when I know I have to be on my game, I use it to focus. So I love this product. Can't speak highly enough. Of
2: it. Can't recommend it enough. By the way, it's simple. You place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes. Now, the thing to remember about CBD as Eric alluded to is that finding your right dose is important. And really everyone's dose is different. So feels has your back. They've set up a free CBD hotline to help you guide you through your personal experience to make sure you find your perfect dose. The customer service team there at Feels is dedicated to making sure that you get the best use out of your CBD. Here's another heads up. When you join the Fields monthly membership, it makes your self-care routine easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel anytime. So why not start feeling better with Fields? Become a member today going to fields.com 83 weeks and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's fealscom slash 83 weeks to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off of your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com slash 83 weeks. So on the uh, January 12th impact show, you come out for a promo and, uh, well, we'll let Dave Meltzer take over quotes. Eric Bischoff came out He did a promo talking about Garrett Bischoff. He said that Garrett has no future in the business, no friends in the business, and he should give up his dream because your dreams will get you hurt. Garrett came out and said, he does have friends and he's not going anywhere. There was no reaction to this, except they piped up the fake crowd noise. He said, he's got a new trainer. He wouldn't say who it is, but we've got a mystery trainer angle that obviously nobody who saw the show noticed. He then grabbed Eric by the shirt collar and shook him. Garrett's delivery was good, but the material wasn't much. So is that a fair assessment that Garrett did a good job, but maybe in hindsight, probably not the best creative?
0: Well, I don't know. I think the if if there was something missing, I don't know if it was a, I'd have to go back and look at it. I may agree with it. I'm Dave's opinion, or I may disagree with it, but without seeing it, I don't know. I, But I think if there was a, a flaw in that scene, um, it was probably because Garrett was young, Garrett was new. Garrett didn't have an established fan base. I had a fair amount of heat, not as much as I had you know, previously, but I still had enough heat that people would just react to anybody that was up in my grill because they like to see that. Um, but I think the biggest, you know, the, the primary flaw in that scene was probably because the crowd just didn't know how to feel about Garrett. Yeah. He hadn't been around long enough. He hadn't established himself. He wasn't over as a baby face. He couldn't have been. He was brand fucking new and nobody had ever seen him before. So I'll I'll take the critique because I don't think it was a, it was meant to be mean necessarily um, as Dave typically is or can be. But I also don't think it's fair to say it was the creatives problem. I think it may have been more the fact that Garrett just didn't have a fan base at that point.
2: Let's talk about something else on this show. Brooke Adams is disclosed as being uh, Brooke Testmacher, and she's in a competition, the Hooters Dream Girl competition. Now, I'm sure you're wondering, why is she in this competition? Because she works for Hooters. Now, I have to admit, as a kid, I thought, man, my local news anchor on my local television show, they're on TV. They must be rich and famous. And I get that. When you get a little older, you realize that's not exactly how things work. But nope. goodness gracious, <laughs> this is a television performer here for TNA, but they also work at Hooters. Doesn't exactly say a lot for TNA in this era, does it?
0: I don't know that that's fair. You know, I mean, I'll also I'll, I'll counter that with they're giving this woman, and I like Brooke a lot. She's she was fun to work with. Giving her an opportunity, yes, and that could easily turn into something much bigger. Is that that bad? No. Is it is it better just to lay tons of money on people and not give them really much of an opportunity, or just you know pay them just to have them on the roster and not use them? You know, TNA. Look, TNA didn't have WWE money to throw around. TNA didn't have AEW money to throw around as I talked about earlier, you know, they were cash flowing themselves the majority of the time. Once I got there, the, you know, the Carter's had recouped from what I've been told. I don't know. This is a fact, but what I have been told by credible people who were involved in the process, um, Carter's got their initial investment back. And then it was up to TNA to survive on its own. That's tough to do sometimes.
2: I guess what I'm saying is from the star aura, you know, we are playing pretend I, I, I'm not saying that, Hey, I, I, I credit, Or discredit TNA for not paying her enough. I'm not saying that Uh, because you made the the comment about dumping a bunch of money on her. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that, hey, she should have been so busy working all these live events that she didn't have time to do that. I am just saying, let's say you and I are in Huntsville together. And next time you're in town, we go to lunch. And I say, hey, let's pull in the Hooters. If Sasha Banks walked us to us to our table would that not be a little fucking weird?
0: <laughs> no, it, it would be to be it, yeah, it, the whole illusion would be busted. Yes. Going back to some of the comments you were made earlier about when you were younger everybody on TV makes a ton of cash, right? It what is, but TNA wasn't there, man. They, they, that's why I mean they didn't have that money and for TNA there were a number of people there that had other jobs. Um but I get it, you're right. Man, it it, it does kind of change the perception, right? Uh, of, of the talent and the magnitude and how important they really are. When you find out that, you know, they work full-time at Hooters and part-time at TNA, it kind of diminishes the brand. You're right.
2: So let's talk about Robert rude. He's going to be uh, headlining this event against Jeff Hardy. And, uh, Meltzer would say, really, this is because Jeff can't go to England because of a prior conviction and the match ends in a no contest after bully Ray interferes. This same era, you're working on some TV shows, uh, you and your old pal, Jason Hervey sold daddy's home to Nick at night with Scott Baio. I think eventually the name was changed to see dad run. Are, are you one foot in one foot out of TNA at this point in 2012?
0: No, because Jason and I were producing television together before I even signed with TNA that was made very clear that, that our my work in, in Bishop Hervey entertainment. Was a priority. TNA was my second priority, and that was in my contract, so that nobody could come back and say, "Yeah, but you're spending all your time doing other things. You're not. We need you more." I I I took care of that right in the very beginning, and it was in my contract. Um, but I wasn't one foot in and one foot out. Jason was working with me at TNA, you know, and and we would when we weren't, you know, head down in TNA business when we had a couple hours in the afternoon. Um, we were head down on Bishop hurvey Entertainment Business. So we were, we were handling both. And one of the other reasons that, you know, Jason and I work so well together in TNA is because, you know, we, we both have the mindset of, look, we're both capable of doing the other's job. We, bo- we both know what each other are doing on a day-to-day basis. We're copied on almost all of the emails going back and forth between anybody we're doing business with. So the idea was that if for whatever reason, Jason had to jump on a plane and go to New York in the middle of a television production that we had going on, I could plug in and and be there representing and and functionally, vice versa. If I had something going on and I couldn't be at at TNA for whatever reason, Jason, you know, one of the things, you know, Jason and I worked together really well. Jason knew how I thought, you know, you hear that saying all the time about people that can finish each other's sentences. That was Jason and I, and oftentimes we didn't even have to say the sentence. We knew what each other was thinking in any given situation, which was really great. Um, but we were almost kind of interchangeable. And no, I don't think it would be fair to say I was one foot in and one foot out.
2: Let's keep it going here. I want to talk a little bit about um you know what's next for TNA here because the next week on Impact, it sounds like the promotion is starting to spin its wheels a little bit. Meltzer would say. The show was perfectly fine for what it intended to be two hours of wrestling on TV with no real purpose other than to fill two hours. There was some decent character development, Bobby Roode becoming a strong performer as a heel world champion and a by the book angle in a tag team program that doesn't promise much. There was a mystery who is Garrett Bischoff's secret trainer that appears to have captivated nobody since nobody has asked about it or seems to know there is even such an angle, even though. He said it plain his day. So these are like the two primary things, Bobby Roode, He's the champ. Uh, there's the X division div- that really nobody cares about at this point. Robbie E is the TV champion. Um, I don't know. Meltzer doesn't seem thrilled with the direction of the promotion. Are you feeling like, you know, because of the Jeff Hardy situation, you're on your heels a little bit, or do you have a totally different take?
0: No, and there there you can see the real Dave Meltzer coming out because now he's going into I'm a little bitch mode, and he felt it just absolutely necessary to bury Garrett as much as he could because Garrett's my son, right? And I'm sure from you know, Dave's perspective, it was nepotism and all that, and, and to a degree it probably was, but Garrett earned his way there. Garrett did the work. Um, so... It, while it appeared you know, to be nepotism to Dave, he, he spent a lot of time now twice in that commentary taking the shot at Garrett. First, there was no reaction. The credit was bad. Now here, it's like, this, this shit's never going to get over no matter what, is what he's really saying in that. It's just a dumb idea. Why are they doing that? I don't think it was fair. And Jeff Hardy, look, we knew that going in. It wasn't a surprise. Jeff Hardy can't go to Canada. Jeff Hardy can't get in, into the UK or he couldn't because of his situ- his legal uh, entanglements at the time. It wasn't a surprise. It was just something that had to be dealt with. Um, from my perspective, again, I wasn't in the day-to-day business. You know, I wasn't sitting next to D- Dixie or being on the phone with Dixie all week long. Dixie had her challenges and issues, and I did my thing. So perhaps from Dixie's perspective, it was a much bigger deal because I'm guessing just a guess that there were some disappointed people on the TV side in the UK. There were some disappointed people on the promotion side in the UK. And there were some disappointed fans in the UK. So I'm sure from Dixie's perspective, it was a much bigger deal than certainly it was to me because it really didn't affect what I was doing.
2: Man, I love talking about chili sleep. It's been a game changer in my life. I'm telling you, as you're listening to this, I'm getting ready to go on vacation. Uh, my wife's birthday's coming up. We're going to go out of town for a few days and something I did this last year is add chili sleep to my life. I'm sleeping better than ever. So much so that, uh, I have to admit they actually hooked us up with a chili sleep to try it out, but I wanted the big daddy. I went back and got the double side and I used our promo code to save some cash. So now Megan and I both have a chili sleep, but when we go on the road, buddy, now I've got a travel chili sleep. That's right. I have two chili sleeps. Why in the world do I have two chili sleeps? Because it's that good. I don't want to go on vacation and not get the best sleep in my life. That's when I really want that sleep. I want chili sleep with me, man. It's a part of my life science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering your core body temperature temperature controlled sleep restores your testosterone levels it repairs your muscles after a hard day's work and it improves your cognitive function so you always start your day feeling sharp and alert now chilly sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being check this out Chili Sleep makes the Uller and the Cube Sleep System hydro temperature controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Chili Sleep can make that happen. For an extra layer of comfort, they also make the Chili Blanket, the only weighted blanket that can also be paired with a control unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. Head over to chilisleep.com forward slash 83 weeks to learn more and check out a special offer available exclusively for 83 weeks listeners and only for a limited time. That's Chili, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com slash 83 weeks to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up feeling refreshed every day. Check it out, guys. I love this so much, so I gave one for Christmas. You're welcome, Cassio and Judy. It's chillysleepcom forward slash 83weeks. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? What interferes with your happiness? Check out betterhelp.com slash 83weeks. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They'll allow you to connect in a safe and private online environment. It really is so convenient. And you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line, it's not self help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response, plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and they've even got financial aid available. The service is available for clients worldwide. Find the particular expertise you need online. Don't limit yourself to counselors located near you. By the way, licensed professional counselors are also there who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and even self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. It's convenient. It's professional. It's affordable. And we recommend you check out their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com. And by the way, BetterHelp has been such a sensation and so helpful across all of America that they're now recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com 83 weeks. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash 83 weeks. That's betterhelp.com slash 83 weeks. And we thank BetterHelp for sponsoring today's podcast. Garrett is uh, going to be shown in an MMA gym training. And uh, Meltzer would say, he looks way too much like Ken Shamrock for my comfort. The whole skit was based on this mystery about who was training him. I guess it would come out that it would be Hulk Hogan, since there was talk in a few months back. There were teases in the direction of building the lockdown with Hogan and Garrett. Uh, taking on Eric Bischoff and Ric Flair uh, was the plan initially or at any point Hulk. Do you remember that being the idea Hogan and Garrett versus Eric and Rick?
0: No, no. There were a lot of different suggestions during that period of time uh, about what we could do with, with Garrett and his obviously his obvious relationship with me. And we wanted to build upon that, right? Cause you want to take a little bit of reality and, and weave it into your fictional storyline. And we, you know, that was a unique opportunity and we wanted to build on that. Like I said, I had enough heat still at that point to be able to use it effectively to help get somebody over. And that somebody in this case was Garrett. So there was a lot of different ideas tossed around. Um, but I, if that one was thrown out at some point in a production meeting, it was probably pretty quickly dismissed for a lot of reasons.
2: Let's, uh, let's talk about the other parts of the program here, because boy, there's a lot of moving parts in this era. We would see Mickey James beat Madison rain in a steel cage match. Uh, what do you think of ladies in a steel cage match? That's become a relatively, uh, hot topic lately where people are talking more about women doing hardcore matches and maybe, you know, women using blood. And I know that became a a hot topic with WWE and AEW and I think We just saw an intergender match with impact and what's your take on that? The whole, um, steel cage match and and the ladies quote unquote, getting color.
0: I think anybody that's listened to me over the last four years on this podcast can predict what I'm about to say. I fucking hate it. Yeah. I hate it. Aesthetically the look, I hate it because it changes the way people work. Now they're working the cage as much as they're working the match, and working the cage. To me, most people overdo it to the point where it, you become kind of eye blind, nose blind to it. You, you, you know what's going on, but it loses its impact. No pun intended. It just, I hate it for a lot of reasons. And the blood, look, I get it. I've been on both sides of this fence, right? And I've never been a big fan of blood using blood and to advance a character or storyline. I've never been a fan of it. And I think largely because it's been overdone. People have seen it. Everybody knows it's no fucking secret how it's done. It doesn't really move the needle emotionally, not talking about ratings, but emotionally, it doesn't really move the emotional needle to the extent that the to the extent that the people that are participating in said match that desperately want to get color, um, they think it moves the needle. It really doesn't. And, and, and it turns people off. There are people like me that to this day, you know, it's not because I'm faint of heart, but I just don't like seeing it. Yeah. and, And there are advertisers and advertising agencies that don't like to see it. You know, if you read the WWE, uh, what do they call that? The, the, where everybody calls in and discusses their business. Oh, the investor really call? No yeah, the investor call. Yeah, the investor call. You know, a lot of what I, because I read through that uh last night before I went to bed, and a lot of what you read, especially when you get towards the bottom, you know, of the coverage and when we're hearing from Nick Khan, advertiser-friendly, probably referenced it three or four or five times. And that's an important thing to distinguish here. You know, one of the re- Again, when I watch wrestling, I don't watch it for the same reasons everybody else does, I don't think. I'm more interested in the business of the business, what I see strategically, what I'm seeing tactically, you know, what I'm trying to surmise as a long-term plan. I'm looking for the business of the business. I'm not looking at the match per se as much as most people. And when I see blood, the first thing I'm thinking about is, great, you're going to get a rating to a degree, or you're getting ratings using this formula that I guess you're happy with but you're turning advertisers off to the point where it doesn't matter what your ratings are. Nobody's going to spend money on your show. Yeah. That is going to happen. And it, and the bigger you get, the more successful you become, the more likely that is going to happen because now there's going to be attention on you. You can get away with a lot of shit. Like Paul Hammond used to be able to get away with a lot of shit in ECW because they were so far off everybody's radar in the industry that it really didn't matter. Paul Heyman used to let talent come out to unlicensed music. Yeah, for God's sake. Well, you could get away with that when nobody when you're on at three o'clock in the morning and nobody's really watching. But you put that shit in prime time, and you're going to have a zip code full of a fucking attorneys camping out on your lawn waiting for you to get out of bed and go to work in the morning because they want to get to you before you get to your car. It's to serve you with cease and desist and the parade of evils that is about to happen to you for using unlicensed music in a broadcast or cable situation. We get away with that when nobody's looking. Same thing is true with blood. Now, as you get bigger and bigger and more successful and more successful, that's going to become a much, much bigger issue. So from a business perspective, I don't like seeing blood. Because I know it's bad for business in the long run. But people that just love watching wrestling for wrestling, as they should, they shouldn't be thinking about it as a business because they don't know what they're trying to understand. But visually, if you're just a wrestling fan and somebody gets juice, and whatever reason that makes you happy, that's kind of fucking weird too. Um, so be it, man. But I don't like it. That was your question. How do I feel about it? I fucking hate it.
2: Let's talk about something that I can't believe is even real. And this is a lesson what we're about to discuss. Sometimes the names of our episode don't really tell the story. So I'm sure when you clicked on this and you saw, well, I really want to listen to 83 weeks cause I really like hearing Eric rant. and boy, I missed that. Eric fires back last week. I need to tune in. But I don't know if I really want to hear about TNA in 2012. Like I didn't watch against all odds 2012, so I don't really care. Here's why you should care. Hulk Hogan's going to head over to England for this tour. He's going to be on a bunch of house shows here. These are unadvertised trios matches. It feels like it's a late addition because I mean, if you've got Hulk Hogan, you want to advertise him. So let's run through that again. Hulk Hogan is leaving Florida and flying across the pond and he's going to wrestle in trios matches that were never advertised on January 26th and 27th. He teams with James storm and sting. Think about that. James storm sting and Hulk Hogan on one side, the opposite side, Bobby Roode, bully Ray and Kurt angle. Now that seems like a fun little match, but here's the little footnote. Hulk Hogan would never wrestle again. This is the end of Hulk Hogan in a wrestling ring. Wow. I didn't even realize that man. How crazy is that in hindsight to think about all the major moments in Hulk's career, WrestleMania three with Andre turning heel and the NWO The whole thing with rock at WrestleMania, all these major moments in his career, and it goes quietly to an end January 26th and 27th, 2012 in trios matches with James storm, sting, Bobby Roode, bully Ray, and Kurt angle.
0: That's I didn't know that. I didn't realize it. Obviously, you didn't know it when it was happening because you don't know what the future holds, and there was no conversation with Hulk previously, like, this is going to be the last time I'm ever going to wrestle. Had, had that happened, there would have been a different conversation going on. But I, until you just said that, man, I didn't know. And that's really – that's that's pretty significant. I often wonder, you know, what – obviously, in many cases, talent doesn't realize it's going to be their last match, Right if it's an injury situation or something like that or something worse. I always wonder, you know, for those people who have, you know, come up in the business for a long time and certainly not not many have reached the level of a Hulk Hogan, but, or a Ric Flair, but anybody in between, man, when it's that last match, don't you wish you would have known it then? Oh man. Wouldn't you have treated it differently had you known that that was going to be your last match. And as you're saying that to me, I'm thinking, oh man, I wish we would have known that it could have been, and by the way, we probably could have sold out Wembley with that one. Had we known that? Cause that's a big fucking deal.
2: It's a huge deal. And just to add some context to what we're talking about, there were supposed to be TV tapings in Germany in January and they were canceled. Um, on the 20th, James storm's wife would give birth to a son. And, and then, you know, you guys hop on the plane and here you are on the 24th in, uh, Brussels, Belgium. And then the next day you're in or two days later, Nottingham, England, the capital FM arena. And here's how it all happened. James storm would defeat Bobby rude by DQ at the five minute mark because rude hit a, uh, hit a low blow. And moments later sting appears and orders a rematch. But then Kurt angle appeared and wanted to be in a tag team match. And then out comes bully Ray. And he wants some part of this action. And then the eye of the tiger plays and here comes Hulk Hogan, man. If that ain't old school, classic WWF Hulk Hogan, I don't know what it is, but there's only, and again, remember Hogan was not advertised. There's only 2,500 fans here who see this match. And then the next day, January 27th, you're in Manchester. And uh, the main event again: Hogan, Sting, and James Storm taking on Bobby Roode, Kurt Angle, and Bully Ray. Forty three hundred fans here to see Hulk Hogan's last match. That's a damn shame in hindsight, dude.
0: It sure is. And and in this you know era of NFTs, I wish I had a ticket <laughs> that I could turn into an NFT because that mucker feather would be collectible in a minute.
2: Yeah, Hulk Hogan's last match, man. I would want that. So, Hey, if you got one of these, uh, Eric and I are buyers sliding our DMs. Three, one, oh
0: four, six, eight, six, two, nine, five direct just, line. Here it is right here. If you've got one, call me. Did
2: you just give your phone number on the air?
0: Not really. I gimmicked it up.
2: Okay. Just <laughs> just <to say.
0: laughs> but some poor son of a bitch living in Los Angeles is going to be getting a lot of phone calls.
2: <laughs> when I heard the area code, I'm like, wait, that's the real number. He's giving his real phone number right now. It's so surreal to think about that, especially in hindsight. Of course, these tapings are announced. Uh, There's a segment on the January 26th show that's going to tease the reveal of uh, Garrett's trainer. And uh, I think we've actually uh, got a clip of that. Did a
0: little research, found out that this is where uh, Garrett's been working out. Supposedly, this is where his trainer has been training him to get ready for his new career in the wrestling ring. Let's expose him. Believe me, nobody wants to train this punk kid. He's got no chance in hell. Believe me. Put an end to this nonsense. Hey, man. Is there a punk by the name of Garrett Bischoff working out in there?
2: He's over there.
0: (laughs) Good. Thanks, man. Only be a second. (laughs) Hey, Punk. So where's the, uh, big trainer. Get the hell out of here. Get out of here. Get the hell out of here now.
2: So Eric, what'd you think, man, that, uh, you did a fantastic job with that. I thought the delivery was great. And I agree with, uh, Dave Meltzer's assessment. Garrett's looking a little shamrock esque right there.
0: I was trying to I was trying to see that. What about Garrett looked like Ken Shamrock?
2: All the big mutton chops. He had the big sideburns. I could see it. He had the dark hair, and you know there was a time where Ken was rocking some pretty long sideburns.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't. I don't recall that. See, the, the images that I had when he, when that Ken Shamrock reference was made was, you know, I was to me he looked like a colonel in 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 the military. You know, he had kind of high and tight, you know, cut and all that. But evidently there was a period in time when He didn't look that way. And if Dave or you thought he looked like Ken Shamrock, then so be it. I guess he
2: did. So we had to write off Jeff from TV because he can't go to England. So there's a main event here of Hardy and Storm going over Bully Ray and Bobby Roode in a tables match. But Hardy's the one who's put through the table by Bully Ray. But let's not forget, we're building towards a pay per view here. And one of our main eventers now can't attend the TV tapings. Because he's not allowed there. Is is this just a major miscommunication? Why would you build a main event around a guy who can't be on the TV tapings for legal reasons that just it's prime TNA lack of communication. Am I right?
0: No, I don't think it was lack of communication. I think it was just bad, bad choices. I think it was just a bad decision to do so. It wasn't a lack of communication. It's not like any of us didn't know that Jeff was not going to be available. Wasn't a surprise. We knew it. Not like one person knew it and didn't tell the other person that wasn't it. It was the decision that was made at the very top to move forward, regardless and make it work to the best of our abilities. That's what we did. It wasn't a lack of communication.
2: Let's talk about, um, your boy Hogan again, Meltzer would say Hogan wasn't asked to be on the tour until a few weeks ago when they decided to tape TV. And then it was more their call than him jumping on the bandwagon. When the advances were good, the plan, as things were scripted was for him to be revealed as Garrett Bischoff's trainer before against all odds. And that was at a TV taping originally scheduled for Orlando. The funny thing is as much as everyone raved about the UK crowd, the Orlando crowds have been fine with Garrett Bischoff, but boy, the UK crowds hated him. So the angle he was brought back for, was one of the few things that actually would have played better back at home. Now he's saying this because, well, this UK crowd, man, they were all over you guys, um, there's a lot of boring chants that are here is did they just want action or is it more of what you were saying earlier? The fans were just not,
0: you know, they don't
2: know how to feel about Gary yet. He's still new.
0: Maybe both. Yeah. Maybe both. I, you know, I don't know. I have to go back and see the reaction to try to get a feel for it and put it into kind of context, I guess. But I I think it's fair to say, without going back and looking at it and and trying to gain a different perspective, it's fair to say that that was was probably a little bit of both. They were a hot crowd. They were a hardcore crowd. Hot, hardcore crowds typically just want to see people beat the fuck out of each other. Just give me the action. The more, the better. So I could see how the audience would be like, oh. Because the television, you know, when you're shooting television, it's a lot different than producing a live event, a non-televised live event. Um, for a lot of reasons, and I can see them just going. I don't want to see this. I want to see something else. I get it.
2: Uh, so Spike decides to advertise Hulk appearing on the show, but there's talk throughout the show before the re- reveal that this is going to be a mystery. So this has always been the mystery trainer, the mystery trainer, the mystery trainer. But then Spike starts promoting the appearance of Hulk Hogan. You're going to tell me this ain't lack like of communication, mucker father?
0: Probably was between Dixie and Spike.
2: yeah for sure
0: no doubt no actually actually Dixie and Spike had a great line of communication that communication usually stopped right there so if if Dixie's saying things to, to, to and you're right this is you're right I'm agreeing with you in a long-winded muck or feather way. This was Dixie and, and and Spike TV having a conversation, Spike TV moving forward based on that conversation, and the rest of us going, huh? That was an example of bad communication.
2: So there's some rave reviews in The Observer regarding Magnus, our old friend Nick Aldis, who was just at our St. Louis show. Um, what did you think of uh, Nick Aldis when you first got to work with him in TNA? Did you see, hey, this guy has the upward mobility and, and he's on the right trajectory to be a top
0: guy? Not initially, but that was more because look, Nick and Nick and I have become friends. I have a ton of respect for Nick and I think he's a really, really uh, underrated talent, amazing look. He can work, he can talk, he can represent your company in, in, in the best way possible in any given situation. I can't say enough good things about Nick, but when Nick first came in to TNA, he he thought very highly of himself. And he didn't develop the relationships early on that I think would have been helpful to kind of just become a part of the team. He Dixie treated him ve- like he was very, very special. She was very high on him. And because she was so focused on the UK, which is another reason we're here, you know, watching this show, she was so focused on the UK and she really felt that the UK was pivotal in in terms of TNA being profitable. And I understood it and and agreed with it. But when she got a look at Magnus and was able to bring him in, she she treated him really, really well. And of course, Nick was very young. What was he, 22 years old at the time? He'd become kind of a high-profile, you know, celebrity in the UK. He's 22 years old. He's cocky as fuck, and he didn't try to hide it <laughs> at all. He's very, very aloof at best. That's the nicest way to say it at best. And it took Nick a while to kind of get his sea legs, so to speak, and become a part of the team. Now, as I worked with Nick, my initial reaction was, oh, "Fucker thinks his shit doesn't stink," um, but. As time went on, that changed a lot. And I remember working pretty closely with Nick during his storyline with Nick and Sting and produced and directed a lot of their interactions. And that kind of changed everything between Nick and I. But initially, I didn't, in a really positive way. Um, But initially, I didn't think too much of him. I didn't dislike him. His work was okay. It wasn't bad wasn't something that his work wasn't something that made me go, holy crap, we've got to sh- throw the sheets out the window, get rid of the format. We're going to rewrite the show and build it around that guy because he's got a great look and he can work his ass off. It wasn't that either. It was somewhere in the middle, good solid foundation, workable, amazing look. Promos were just okay at that time, but eventually that all changed.
2: Hey guys, I don't know about you, but when the pandemic started, we started wearing a little comfort wear around the house. I mean, Hey, if we're going to be stuck here at home, why bother getting dressed up every day? So we got really used to comfort here at the Thompson household. And then of course, now as things are getting a little more back to normal, we're back out there doing our thing, daddy. But what I have not sacrificed is comfort. Now that's thanks to stance. I recently got a whole bunch of stance swag. And I think we've talked about this before the beginning of the year. I am addicted to stance socks back in the day. I would wear socks to the office. And as soon as I came home, man, yeah, I wanted to put, take off all my dress clothes, but what was most uncomfortable, the old socks, these stance socks, dude, I'm wearing them right now at home. I can't tell you how much I love stance. Now, one thing that's weird about these socks compared to all the other socks is when I first opened the box, you can feel the quality, you know, quality, when you see it, you know, quality, when you feel it, the stance stuff, not only looks cool, it's colorful, it's fun dude it is so comfortable eric tells me he's loving the underwear too they've got something for everybody now founded in 2009 stance apparel represents a radical reinvention of socks underwear and your active apparel with a sharp focus on comfort quality and creativity stance brings an atypical aesthetic alongside some of pop culture's hottest collaborators for the ultimate in both style and self-expression because stance believes that everything you wear should be a direct extension of who you are and how you feel here's what we're talking about our man tony loves him some batman they got batman stuff everybody knows dave green our sales guy he knows the wu-tang clan ain't nothing to mess with well they got woo stuff they've also got stuff from star wars the office disney marvel baseball basketball there's something for everybody But my go-to, dude, it's the socks. If you're going to try one thing from Stance, and by the way, I recommend you try it all, but the socks, dude, come on. So soft, so comfortable, far superior to anything I've ever had. And Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in. Those that feel good, do good. So go see for yourself. Register for an account at stance.com and get 15% off your first purchase. Use the promo code 83weeks at checkout to apply and enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. So we're coming off these tapings in the UK, but before we get to the Against All Odds pay-per-view, The Observer has some pretty major news. Vince Russo has quit TNA. Here's the story. The story was something that was in place dating months back, as when David Lagana left Ring of Honor for TNA, we were told specifically it was for a writing job. And that he was going to likely end up as the replacement for Vince Russo. The issue was that Dixie Carter was never going to fire Russo. Exactly. What was the straw that broke the camel's back? So to speak is unclear other than Russo was not happy because he had lost power of the creative direction, which was being determined by Bruce Pritchard as head of creative and Eric Bischoff.
0: Is this how you remember it all going down? Vince, just quitting. It happens so frequently throughout the course the course of russo's career um, that I can't honestly tell tell you what the circumstances were because there were so many situations like that you know russo left wwe and I'm not suggesting he shouldn't ever. that was a bad choice or whatever I don't know what led up to it none of my business don't care don't know whatever but when he got to wcw how long did it take for him to you know take his ball and go home because he was didn't like the way things were going and then he came back. I mean, guys quit his position so many different times that it's hard to keep track of what the reasons were. There was, you know, there were issues. You know, Russo, Russo had a hard time working in a team environment. He just did. If he didn't get to do exactly what he wanted to do, he'd pout like a little bitch um, and whine about it. And everybody around him knew about it. He'd mope around. He's fucking miserable, bro. Bro, bro, I'm trying my best, bro. I just, oh, bro. You know, this guy's a fucking Dixie, fucking Bishop, fucking you know, whatever. It's just Russo. I couldn't tell you what the specific reasons were, though.
2: But do you think uh, the Lagana thing may have had something to do with it?
0: I don't think so. Mm. I don't, that's that's news to me. I, I Lagana, I, I don't know who would have brought Lagana in and suggested that he was going to be a replacement. He's not a leader. It was a decent writer, but he wasn't a leader. He was going to be able to take control of a creative room for God's sake. It takes a different kind of personality. Um, you not only have to be really creative, but you have to have a personality for that position. And Dave did not have that. I don't know who would have suggested that. I'm, I doubt Bruce would have maybe Dixie. I don't know. Certainly not me.
2: <laughs> I'm just trying to piece this together, but it doesn't sound like you think too highly of Mr. Lagana.
0: No, that's not true at all. See that that's where I, I'm often I don't say nervous, but I'm trying to be careful about what I say because I I try to be really honest. Yeah. And sometimes that comes off as being negative. The honest look, Dave was a good writer. Dave has had Dave had success in writing before he got into WWE. Yeah. Right. I think he was a writer for friends, if I'm not mistaken. Which is like, to this day, one of the most successful shows in all of television, right? Um, so Dave was a good writer. And Dave had whatever level of success that he had at WWE. I didn't work with Dave directly in WWE. We were both there at the same time. But I wasn't a part of the day-to-day process. So I didn't get some, any insight into how good Dave Lagana really was. You don't get that feeling until you're in a room for 10 or 12 hours with somebody. Um, but you can be a good writer. You can be a great writer and not have the ability to run a room. A writer's room is, you know, that's a, that's a challenge. That's a real challenge. And you have to have a certain type of personality, just like you do to be a head coach. You know, you just, it's different, but that's not a criticism of Dave or his writing ability. It's just, he's not a leader in that respect.
2: Let's jump into, uh, the other issue here for against all odds, uh, Taz, unfortunately has, uh, his brother-in-law pass away the night before the show. So obviously he's got more important family matters. He's not going to be available for the show. So Jeremy Borash is going to step up and take his place alongside Mike Tenay. Borash of course, uh, is really a big part of the wrestling business. Thanks in large part because of you. Uh, hiring him back in WCW to uh, do WCW live and a whole host of other things. And boy, he parlayed that in, into quite a career. What do you remember about Borash stepping up here? And how did you think he did in Taz's absence?
0: Correction, there, Conrad. I didn't, I didn't bring Borash in. Borash came in, I think under Russo. Oh, Russo okay. was instrumental was bringing him in, um, during that, one of those periods of times where, you know, I think from between, sometime between September when they brought me back in April, that's when um, Borash came in. So that's a Vince Russo thing. Um, I I eventually started really liking Borash's work. In fact, I did color him play-by-play on some TNA thing. I don't remember what it was. Um, there was a, a scene or something that required Jeremy and I to do color and play by play together. And it was then that I went, wow, with the right direction, he can be really good. The problem is he wasn't really given any direction Mm. or if he was, he was given direction by people who shouldn't have been giving direction to anybody. But in working with him and I I don't want to say he was intimidated by me. He might've just not liked me, which I understand. I could certainly understand. Um, or he may have been a little intimidated, whatever the case may be, in, in all the times that I had worked with him previously. But when we got on this, on the set and we were doing color and play-by-play play together, I didn't get that sense, and he was more himself. And I thought, man, this kid, he's pretty good. And I'd always been frustrated with the announced team at TNA. It just was never working well for me. And some of the previous incarnations I had seen of Jeremy doing color commentary, for example, I thought he was a clown. He had didn't impress me whatsoever, but his play by play was actually pretty good. He was, he was really good. Well,
2: the, no, uh, that was
0: Vince Russo. Jeremy Borash owes his career to Vince Russo.
2: The, uh, unfortunately the bad news keeps coming here for this pay-per-view. There's an opener where we see a freak accident create a scary situation for Jesse Sorensen. Sorensen was wrestling Zima Ion in a match where the winner would become the top contender for the X division title. And early in the match, Ion came off the middle rope with a moonsault to the floor and his right knee caught Sorensen on the top of the head and appeared to both knock him out and jam his neck. He's rushed to the hospital and unable to move. And then he's in intensive care. After having a battery of tests done, it was determined he had a fraction C1 vertebrae, which connected the head to the spine and a swollen spinal cord. By the next day, he was able to move his arms and had feelings in his legs, but he was having some control of his legs by press time. There's talk he'll eventually make a full recovery, but it is going to be a long process. Kurt Angle, who visited him in the hospital on February 14th, said Sorensen was told it would be one year before he could return to the ring. But angle predicted that Sorensen could make it back in four months. What do you remember about this situation? How scary was this? How do you determine whether or not the show continues? Just walk me through the sheer panic that has to happen backstage. What was the mood backstage? When did, you know, just talk me through it.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I remember the incident very well. I'm not sure how soon I was made aware of the severity of the injury. Um, it may have taken a little bit for us to get in. We knew it was serious, and look, it's your neck, right? Anytime it's your neck or your back, it's it's potentially very, very serious. So we knew that it was serious. It wasn't just you know a blown out knee or a dislocated shoulder, you know things that typically happen, um, but we didn't know the severity. So in terms of Does the show go on? Does it not go on? The show goes on. You have no choice. The show goes on. But it was probably hours later that we started hearing about the severity of it. Uh, Garrett, incidentally, was pretty good friends with Jesse at the time. And I know I probably got more information from Garrett eventually than I did from anybody else. And uh, we were very fearful for Jesse. It took a while before we were no longer in fear of just how severe it was going to be, whether he was going to be paralyzed and, and all the other things that could have come along with that injury very easily, uh, but it was serious. And I, I know it, it, it hit Dixie very hard. She was very, very concerned.
2: Um, what was the, um, is there a protocol when a wrestler gets hurt like this? You know, I've, I've heard from some guys over the years that when you see a guy down and you're not sure, Hey, is he selling or what's going on? if his legs cross is something that I've heard that, Oh, that's not a good sign because apparently when you're in full control and conscious and and able to control yourself, that won't happen. Uh, is there some sort of telltale and, and what is protocol? I mean, did you, do you remember if there was a plan in place prior to the incident and, and were there new, uh, I don't know, marching orders after the incident?
0: Um, I mean, look, you had doctors on staff, you had ambulances there, you know, that that's about as much prep as you can, you know, you can't have a surgeon standing by with an operating room off to the side, right? There's only so much you can do in case of an injury. And and those precautions were in place or preparations, I should say, were in place. There were doctors in place. There were ambulances in place. The ambulance knew where the hospital was, all of that. Um, Beyond that, Every injury, every situation is different enough that I don't think there's any standard protocol other than if the doctor says, get this individual to the hospital, you get them there as fast as you can, just like you would in any other event, whether it's a golf tournament and somebody has a heart attack playing golf or it's in the NFL or if it's in professional wrestling, make sure you have the staff there, make sure the staff is qualified and be prepared for the worst. That was a protocol. Did it change anything? <clears throat> did did Jesse's injury change future protocols or considerations? No, it didn't.
2: Let's uh talk about what's next because unbelievably the show must go on. Uh Robbie E is gonna be out next to retain his TV title, pinning Shannon Moore in 931 in an unadvertised match. Uh E called it the Robbie E Invitational and challenged anyone to come out and get a shot at the title. Meltzer would say Crowd was dead for this, but that could be said about everything. Shannon Moore came out and after one drop kick, E.T.'s leaving with the belt, but Moore attacked him on the ramp. Moore used an Isa moonsault. Moore got a near fall with a hurricane run off the top. However, the with the ref distracted, Robbie uh punched him from the outside, and E got the pin after an implant DDT star and a half. So it's an unadvertised match, but it's also a terrible position to be put in after this crowd has just seen a very real situation. This had to be really hard on the performers here. Did it not?
0: It did. And and also these were two guys who were just, I think, especially, I want to say this correctly. Shannon Moore had been around for a while. He Shannon Moore was first made his debut in WCW probably in 97 or 98. So Shannon Moore had been around for a while. Robbie E was on nobody's radar and Shannon Moore hadn't been on television in a long time. He was coming back like Garrett didn't really have a big fan base because he'd been gone for a while, even though he had been around in the industry for a bit. Robbie E didn't have anything of, he didn't have any of that, you know, Robbie E was new to the business uh, on a national level and certainly on an international level, He was brand new to the business. nobody knew how to feel about him. They were reacting to a character that was a derivative of of uh whatever that show was on on the east coast the uh,
2: jersey shore
0: jersey shore i 'm sorry it 's early in the morning you haven 't had enough coffee so he was a, he was kind of a rip off of a a reality television show that existed here in the United States that probably didn 't even exist in the u k so, no, they didn't know how to feel about him. Now, add to that, you're coming off a very serious situation. Mm. Could have been life threatening. <laughs> so, they had like three strikes against him before they came out of the curtain.
2: Next up, we've got Gail Kim retaining the knockouts title, pinning Tara in six minutes and 48 seconds. Madison Rain came out with Kim. She's at ringside, screaming obnoxiously. Rain and Kim were yelling at each other, and Rain walked away. Boresh noted that Kim has. Changed on the road and how now she brings celebrity chef with her on the shows. Of course, her fiance is uh chef, Robert Irvine. Of course, now they're married. Kim's working on Tara's right leg. Most of the way. And Borash talks about how she tore her ACL 10 years ago, but never had surgery. Meltzer would say Kim has lost some weight. Uh, Tara landed the moonsault and then started selling the right knee. And she did a very realistic sell job. Tara tried the widow's peak, but the knee went out. So Kim used a knee breaker and eat defeat for the pin good for a women's match in a major league U S wrestling promotion, two and a quarter stars. Clearly two of the best performers. I think Gail Kim to this day, criminally underrated, uh, man, timing is everything in business and and, and sports and, and certainly wrestling Gail Kim. If she was coming out today, can you imagine the, the, the matches and fanfare she would have in 2022?
0: Yeah, and she would have had. A tremendous amount of great talent to work with. Yes, you know, I mean, can you imagine Gail Kim and Britt Baker? Can you imagine Gail Kim and Charlotte Flair,
2: or Sasha, or Bailey, or Batista? Yeah, mean, I mean,
0: there's a lot of talent. Yes, that would have been really fun to book.
2: Next up, we've got Samoa Joe and uh, Magnus. Who we know is going to be uh, Nick Aldis. They're going to win the tag team titles from Matt Morgan and Crimson in nine fifty six. Now this being TNA, LOL. They put up the graphic for the X title instead of the tag title. But of course they eventually correct it. Mike today and Borash are going to push how Joe and Magnus like each other and how Magnus had a career night in London at the impact show. They get some heat on crimson Morgan hot tags in and his clearing house. And, uh, crimson is going to spear Morgan. When Joe got out of the way, Joe, then snap mares, Morgan and Magnus comes off the middle rope with an elbow drop. And that's all she wrote star in three quarters, you know, Samoa, Joe, a, a few years prior to this, one of the biggest wrestlers in the world, certainly one of the top acts in TNA, uh, on an undefeated streak. Now he's tag teaming with Magnus, a very young Nick Aldis in hindsight. What'd you make of, uh, the way Joe was being handled here? We heard Kurt angle earlier in the same episode, appear on Sirius XM and say, boy, they haven't done him justice. But I think the usage of, Hey, let's try to get over this new guy that we have a lot of hope in. I mean, that's classic wrestling. Is it not?
0: It's Classic wrestling. And and also Joe could be the the kind of ring general on that team. Yeah. I don't think that Nikki had a lot of experience in that type of situation before. So it made sense, you know, on paper for a lot of different reasons. And I think Kurt's comments (coughs) about TNA and Joe (coughs) were absolutely on the money. Um, I've said this before. Vince Rousseau just absolutely didn't want Joe on TV. He was just dead set against it. And Dixie did. So even before I got there, there was this, from what I've heard, I obviously wasn't there it was before I got there, but there was just always this feeling that, you know, from Russo's side of the equation that, you know, Joe shouldn't be on television. But like I said, Dixie liked him and and wanted to use him. So it was, now Russo was using Joe against his will. You now there's a saying a man convinced against his will is of the same mind. And that was true with Russo and, and Joe. And as a result, Joe just didn't get a lot of the positioning and love that he should have. So let's talk
2: about match. Number five here on the show It's Austin Aries pinning Alex Shelley to retain the X title in 1507. And Meltzer said this was easily the best thing on the show. They had the most crowd heat as well. But even here it sounded like a small group of fans who were into it, but they were mostly quiet as opposed to the other matches where it appeared nobody was into it. At one point, Aries, after getting hit with a rider kick off the top rope, rolled out of the ring, went underneath the ring, and came out on the other side. Aries then knocked Shelley out of the ring and did his fast topee. When Aries tried it a second time, coming out the other side, Shelley was ready and backdropped him over the top rope. And this set up Shelley doing a tope. Shelley did a great job of subtly selling his neck from this point forward. Shelley got a near fall with the Emerald Fusion. Uh, Aries then used a knee breaker and pendulum elbow. Aries also delivered a Death Valley bomb onto the ring apron, further working on the neck. He did a double sledge off the top rope to the floor, and Shelley came back with the sliced bread. But Aries got his hand on the ropes to stop the count. He did a running drop kick into the corner and a brain buster in the middle of the ring, but Shelley kicked out. And that led to a, this is awesome chant Shelly with the inside cradle and a super kick and another kick, but yet again, Aries kicked out Aries Then did pride style knees to the head on the ground, followed by a brain buster and got the submission with the last chancery, a bridging chin lock. So three and a half stars, these two guys have so much chemistry together. Uh, once upon a time, I was convinced that both of these guys were going to be real big stars. And I thought that back in like Oh four, here we are eight years later and they've got 15 minutes on a pay-per-view for a title. This was a great match. Uh, what'd you think? Thinking about this one, looking back.
0: I really, really liked both of these guys, Alex Shelley, you know, go back and you watch some of teenage, some of it we've covered here in 83 weeks. When you go back and watch some of the amazing matches that he had, um, Part of the Motor City Machine Guns always loved his work. Aries is a guy, and I understand why you know we're not seeing Austin around a lot. He's got a very strong personality. Like he's not abusive, it's just a strong personality. And he puts up with no bullshit. Zero. So you got somebody with a strong personality that doesn't tolerate bullshit probably not going to last very long in the wrestling business because you've got to learn how to deal with that. Um, But man, he was good. I love, and I respect Austin Aries for being who he is because he's, he's consistent. He's that he's very consistent and I respect him. I really do. But his personality held him back. That character trait held him back because technically he was so gifted, probably still is. And he did have, and probably still does, as people say, a great wrestling mind. He understood how to get heat. He understood when to get heat. He understood it. He understood how to get his opponents over. He, He understood. He had the ability, not to the extent of Ric Flair or, or others, you know, or a Kurt Angle, but he had the ability to make his opponent look better than they really were, which is a really valuable asset. He had so many great tools in his toolbox, but his attitude got in the way. But this match, there's no way this couldn't be a phenomenal match with these two. They could have the worst match of their respective careers, and it would still be a great match. Before we go, though, I mean, we move on. So you, these guys were on your radar going back to 2004. Where yeah. did you see him?
2: Ring of honor, ring of honor, really? had them early on. And Samoa Joe was this unbeatable God in ring of honor. I mean, he had an incredibly long reign and then all of a sudden at final battle, uh, Austin Aries beat him and nobody could believe it. I mean, it was one of those reigns where people just thought, well, Joe will be the champ for years. Nobody will beat him. And then Austin Aries did, Austin Aries did, but uh, Alex Shelley was a part of, uh, a group that was sort of the, uh, the young punks who were trying to take over. And, and they had a great crew there. Roger Strong was in the group and Jack Evans. Anyway, Alex Shelley, uh, obviously is going to go on to become a big time deal in TNA with the motor city machine guns and all that. But it's crazy to think. And I know that Aries, as you said, is, you know, his own man. And, and, and for whatever reason, certain people don't like Aries and I've had him at a starcast, and he was great to deal with. So I can only speak to my experience. But Alex Shelley not being involved in 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 television wrestling right now is just wild to me like, and I know that he's he's got a real gig outside of wrestling and he no longer needs wrestling, but you know you would think with seemingly fifteen new wrestlers are signed a week, and Alex Shelley's hanging around, dude, somebody's missing the boat
0: yeah or or it's just maybe Alex Shelley realizing that he's not as young as he used to be, injuries are an issue um and at some point in time you have to make the decision of what what's the next 20 years of your life going to look like yeah and as much fun as you're having wrestling and as much potential as you may have you reach a certain point in your life where reality sets in and you're gonna you're at that fork of the road you know you're you're still young enough to pursue a career outside of wrestling wherever your interests may take you um you're still healthy you're still having a blast, but if you look into the future 10 or 20 years, you know that you got to pull the plug on this wrestling gimmick. Unless you're pulling in significant amounts of money every year so that you can save for your future retirement, knowing that you're not likely to end up in a high-paying career once you get out of the wrestling business, because you've dedicated your life to, to, to an industry that is so unique, it doesn't really apply itself very easily to life outside of the business so you hit that fork in the road and and I respect Alex for making the decision he made I wish more people would make it sooner that's why we see often guys who you know at one point in time were you know climbing up that card and get a lot of attention and you know position pretty well maybe even making a lot of money and you think well this is going to go on forever it doesn't things can happen in a blink of an eye or in the case of Jesse Sorensen, an injury can injure shit in a minute. And if you haven't been planning for that next 20 years, you find yourself in a really bad situation. We see that all too often. And what happens after that? It's the drugs. It's the alcohol. Mm. It's all of the stuff that we hear about because sometimes people just in the in talent just aren't thinking about what does my life look like after wrestling? And I think Alex Shelley is somebody that you know young talent should be thinking about and talking to. Cause you do have to, you know, Jr. talks about this a lot, you know, what's the best advice you have somebody for getting into the wrestling business, have a fucking plan B because plan B can come at any moment, no matter who you are.
2: Great advice. Let's talk about what's next. These guys didn't have a plan B and maybe still don't it's Kazarian and AJ styles, they're going to hook it up for 18 minutes and 42 seconds. Meltzer would say there was some good wrestling here, but he thought it hurt the crowd because it, uh, maybe dragged because it, they went so long. He said, Kazarian came out looking unhappy and being forced to wear a Christopher Daniels t-shirt. Daniels is out with him and orders him to wrestle in the shirt. And that leads to a spot where styles tears the shirt off. One cool move was Kazarian slingshotting styles into the ring and hitting the diamond cutter on him for a near fall. And then styles did his moonsault into a reverse DDT for a near fall. Kazarian gets a near fall with the downward spiral and Daniels is pounding on the mat to get the crowd into the finish, but they're just not reacting at all. Uh, there's some more near falls and then styles finally hits the Pele kick. And with Kazarian down styles, gets on the apron jumps to the top rope. It looks like he's going to do a springboard move on Kazarian, but instead he balanced on the top and then moonsaulted backwards to take out Daniels and the crowd popped big for that one. Styles went to springboard back into the ring, but this time Kazarian caught him with the fade to black uh and got the pin. Two and three quarter stars. Kazarian getting the win over AJ here. These guys are, again, in my opinion, homegrown TNA talent, whatever that means. But this was a great match. But the story is a little all over the place in that Daniels has control of Kazarian, but they're going after AJ and I don't know. Maybe it's not the best use of AJ, but damn, the match was fun.
0: Well, the match couldn't help, but be fun. You talk about some great talent, AJ, obviously, and, and still having a great career today. Frankie Kazarian, I think just signed, if I read correctly, or re-signed with AEW. Chris Daniels, still a part of AEW. These guys know their shit, and they knew it very early on. They were fun to watch. Frankie and, and Chris Anderson in particular, I really, really loved working with those guys very creative and very open-minded, selfless. They didn't let their egos get in the way. They just wanted great stuff. They wanted great stories. They wanted opportunities to have great matches. Um, You couldn't ask for two better people to work with. And and AJ right there with them. And AJ was not as open-minded sometimes as Frankie and and Chris was. It took a little more work, you know, to get get AJ on board with something. But when he did, he was fully committed and, and a real pro's pro. I will say, you know, this is Frankie and Chris. You know, I have to go back and watch it, but this sounds to me like Frankie and Chris doing their absolute best with a, with a weak-ass storyline. I understood. Just based on what you laid out, I can imagine what we were thinking at that time, but this is a perfect example of what you're thinking. looks good, really good on paper, and in the way you imagined it in your head, but it doesn't connect to the audience in the same way, and that's probably what this was.
2: Next up, we've got Gunner pinning Garrett Bischoff in 11 minutes and 58 seconds. Of course, Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan are in the respective corners. And Meltzer would say this match just didn't work as the semifinal and they went too long and it really exposed Bischoff. Garrett came out to Hogan's music with Hogan to, uh, ensure a reaction, but the crowd was into Hogan, not super loud, like usual, but louder than anyone else on the show, besides Aries and Shelley. they didn't react to the match and it was a good opening match. But here it's second to last Gunners trying to carry it, but it wasn't good enough to do so the big spot saw Eric slap Garrett in the face. And this led to uh, Hogan going to the other side of the ring and decking Eric with one punch and the crowd popped for that punch before the match. Eric did an interview and said he was bringing a flag for Hogan to throw in when Garrett was taking too much of a beating Gunners beating him up. Most of the way with Hogan telling Garrett to fight back. Finally, Hogan gets on the apron and it looks like he's ready to throw in the towel, but Garrett tells him not, tells him not to, with the idea that he's showing guts and gunner, uh, then hit the DDT for the pin. So it looks like it's going to be, uh, you know, almost a Rocky type movie and Garrett's going to get the win. but gunner does half a star. What'd you think of this match in hindsight?
0: I have to go back and look at it. I don't remember it. Uh, and I'm certainly not going to take. Dave's perspective of it, uh, and, and the way he contextualized it. Um, so I'd have to go back and look at it. Just the way you laid that out, um, I can see why it was done that way, and I think it was the right thing to do. You know, the worst thing in the world would have been for Garrett to win that match. It would have been horrible for Garrett. You're young. You're everybody knows your last name, but nobody knows who you are. That's a that's the situation Garrett was in, and Garrett had to establish his own personality in a non-gratuitous way, meaning don't just put him over and put him over and put him over. He had to fight from underneath. He had to be that young guy trying to break into the business. He had to have flaws that he had to overcome. That's called the fucking journey. That's what wrestling, that's what books, that's what television shows, and that's what movies are built upon. The hero's journey. It's a very fundamental storytelling technique or, or format. And that's what Garrett was doing at that time. So the way you laid it out to me, I was able to visualize it. And I think it matched probably made sense. Now you could argue that it might, should not have been second to last. And I would listen to that argument and have an open mind towards it. I would counter not as a justification, but as a thought to be put on the table and debate is, but yeah, it's Hogan. You know, the storyline was Hogan was Garrett's trainer and was going to assist in Garrett's journey through this maze of professional wrestling. Well, if you've got Hogan in that position with Garrett, are you going to put him on in an opening match? I don't think so.
2: Yeah. If Hogan's there, it's gotta be later in the show. I understand why it's here, but I I too could be talked into it. Not being in this spot. Our main event is Bobby Roode retaining the TNA title in a four way over Jeff Hardy, bully Ray, and James storm. Sting is the uh, ring enforcer. They go 15 minutes and five seconds. Meltzer would say there was no response to storm and rude, but the crowd saw the stars as Hardy and sting. He says, in fact, Hardy's reaction is roughly four times as loud for that for storm rude, got no cheers and very few boos, And, um, yeah, a four way in a main event always sounds like a good idea on paper an execution maybe not so much uh, the finish happens when uh, sting jumps into the ring and takes the belt to keep bobby rude from cheating here so rude and sting start arguing rude starts poking sting in the chest sting's doing nothing yet but then when sting is shoved by rude he does nothing yet again so now rude starts calling him gutless and he dares sting to hit him with the belt once again sting does nothing and now bobby rude spits in sting's face So that, of course, means Sting's going to go for the belt shot, but Rude moved, and now Sting accidentally nailed Hardy. Rude goes for the pin, but Sting won't count. Rude is yelling at him to count, and after Rude covered Hardy for a long time, Sting went down to count very slow, but Hardy still didn't kick out, and he counted three. And of course, Sting is mad that he had to do that. And Meltzer would say it may read good, but it came off bad. Star in three quarters. Is this just overbooked
0: horseshit, Eric? Probably. I would, yeah. And that, that was a consistent problem. I think it still is in some respects. Um, overbooking, too much detail, and you don't see it in, in WWE and AEW to the extent that you saw it here. But this is what happens. You got four guys in the ring. And they start out with a very basic batch. looks great. By the end of the day, when everybody's adding in their little details, when everybody's adding one little thing here and then one little thing there, what starts out as an apple pie at the beginning of the day turns into something completely different. <laughs> it's, a, it, it, it's, a, it's a buffet by the time you're done because everybody's adding in little stuff. And it, it's not overbooked and creative, right? When you lay it out on paper, there's a reason for it. It all makes sense. Everybody agrees to it. And then you get to the arena and the talent gets a hold of it and the agents get a hold of it. And then they start tweaking this and tweaking that and changing this and adding that and taking this out and doing this and doing that. And they're doing it for all the right, you know, their intentions are always good. But by the time the match comes off, what started out on paper as an apple pie turns into a Chinese fucking buffet. Yeah. By the time you see it in the ring. And that's where the overbooking comes in. It's, it's not booking in the creative sense. It's booking in the, in the, in, in, in the, in the context of putting the match together. And when you, it's bad enough when you've got two guys doing it. Now you got four guys. It's, it, it's, was very typical in, in T and
2: let's, uh, talk about what the readers of the observer thought of this show against all odds, got a 45% thumbs up, a 43% thumbs down and 12% thumbs in the middle. I, I don't know, Eric, I think I would go thumbs in the middle just because of how much I enjoyed Alex Shelley and uh, Austin Aries. What would you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle.
0: I would say it was probably thumbs in the middle. You know, there obviously some flaws, some issues with the show, some issues with creative, but overall, I think it was, it was a good show. It wasn't a great show, but it was a good show.
2: Well, let's, uh, let's do some fan questions, but before we do, I want to mention the show got between seven and 8,000 buys. How does that strike you in hindsight?
0: Embarrassing.
2: Be a good word. What's crazy to think is the rumor and innuendo Is that the game changer show that happened a few weeks ago at Hammerstein, uh, sometime in January, it was the biggest independent wrestling show of the year. And of course, game changer only appears on pay-per-view on fight. They don't have national television. They don't have Hulk Hogan. They don't have any of these brand name talent. And they did, according to the rumor and innuendo, a multiple of this pay-per-view, which is just crazy to me. It is, is this a function of. We were giving away so much good stuff on TV where we not telling the right stories that fans just didn't want to see it. Why do you, I mean, seven to 8,000 buys. I mean, damn, I think we had Starcast that had that many buys. I, I don't understand how that's possible. It's real simple
0: zero marketing, zero promotion. But you're on spike. How can you say zero marketing? That's not enough. That's not enough. There's a lot of people over the years, some of whom we know very well, that believe if you put it on television, you'll build a pay-per-view audience. That is not true. You have to spend, you have to invest in yourself. You have to market yourself. You have to make big commitments in order for pay-per-view to work for you. Because guess what? As, as As a wrestling company, if you're not willing to put money into the market, but spend your own money to promote your product, do you think DirecTV is? Do you think anybody else is? They're going to do the minimal amount that they have to do under the terms of the agreement because your, your, your pay-per-views are not generating any cash. So the pay-per-view companies are barely managing or servicing their client, which in this case would be TNA, with additional promotion. T&A is doing fucking nothing but hoping that, well, since it's on TV, people will buy it. They don't. Look at what WWE does to market, and look at what they've done over the last three decades to market and promote and brand their pay-per-views. There's a reason why WrestleMania is a cultural phenomenon, and a lot of it had to do with a commitment in the promotion that was done to establish it that way. You look at some of the success that AEW's had. They promoted the shit out of it outside of television. They spent real money. They invested in their product and continue to do so as does WWE TNA did fucking nothing. Well, we're on TV, so it'll work.
3: Mm.
0: No, it didn't. It never will. It's the tree that fell in the forest all the fucking time on pay-per-view. Now you look at GCW today. Okay. Okay a whole different world you can probably reach more wrestling fans in social media today than you could have you know with a hundred thousand dollar marketing budget back in the day or more social media has changed the dynamic especially for independent wrestling promoters and fans there is a certain percentage of the audience that really loves that it's just like music you know it's no different Films, you know, there's a lot of people that only watch indie films. They don't watch anything coming out of a studio. They're a much smaller you know, portion of the the movie-going audience, but they're so committed to that independent film scene, that's all they want to talk about, watch, read about. Same thing is true in music. Same thing is true in a lot of things. But in professional wrestling, you've got this indie culture, which is significant now. And it allows people like Game Changer to have a tremendous amount of success without having to spend a ton of money. Well, that didn't exist, you know, in 2012. Certainly not to the extent that it does today. So I mean, there was just differences in the industry, but at the core of it, the challenge for TNA, not the challenge, the reason TNA never had the success that their television presence and ratings to a degree would indicate. Is because they never promoted themselves or branded themselves. They were of this the, the, the mindset that, well, we're on Spike TV in prime time. We don't need to spend any money in advertising. Millions of people watch us every week or a million and a half or two million or whatever it was at the time. People watch us every week. That's all we need. No, it's not true. And TNA proved it.
2: Well, let's uh, let's do some fan questions here before we talk about what we're doing next week. Uh, let's jump into a question from uh, AdFreeShows com. We, we're doing a sort of call in style now, and this one is about Gail Kim. Uh, let's take a listen here.
1: Hi, Eric Brad Stanton, top guy here. Uh, TNA is against all odds Gail Kim was your champion. Why do you think she didn't get a better run in WWE? She had such a great, uh, such great, did such great things in TNA.
2: Thank you. Interesting question. Why do you think for whatever reason, Gail didn't have more success with Vince,
0: I, you know, who knows, you know, who knows what goes on inside of the mind of Vince McMahon, right? Um, and I certainly, when I was there, Gil Kim was there when I was there as when I was there as a talent, but I certainly didn't get any glimpse behind the scenes or into what Vince McMahon may or may not have been thinking about certain talent. I can only guess that's all it is, is a guess um is that at, at the time that Gail was in WWE, Vince's idea of what the women's division should look like and what the women in it should look like were different than they probably are today um I don't I never heard or saw any kind of, issue with Gail backstage. She was well-liked, well-respected, fun to be around. Um, I think I hung out with her after a show in Iowa with a group of us and and we all went out to a club afterwards and just had a blast. She's a fun person. Um, So there was no, I don't think there were any personal issues or personality conflicts. I just think that whatever the vision was for the women's division at that time, Gail Kim just didn't quite fit the mold that had been predetermined at that point. I think today it would be completely different. I think Gail Kim today in WWE, as you touched on earlier, Conrad accurately, um, would, would probably really get over today. Cause there's so many great women for her to work with. Wasn't necessarily the case back then.
2: Let's go to the phones. We've got another question here about against all odds, 2012.
1: Patrick Ruth Jr. top guy for 83 weeks. Eric, was there any possibility of giving Jeff another run in 2012 with the belt?
2: Thank you. I'm sure he means uh Jeff Jarrett here in twenty twelve.
0: Yeah, I don't think that was on the table with all due respect. Um I think for the most part, the issue for, with Jeff becoming the champion again, that would have been a bigger issue between Dixie and Jeff than it was anybody else. But it was never on the table, at least not to my knowledge. Um, there may have been some within TNA at the time that were suggesting it in private meetings or conversations and things like that, but it, it was never on the table for discussion. And I think that just had a lot to do with the underlying tension between the Carters, not just Dixie, between the Carters uh, and Jeff Jarrett.
2: Uh, we got uh, two more calls here, and then we'll preview next week. Here's uh, another one here from Ad Free.
1: Hi, Eric. It's Brad Stanton, top guy. About the 2012 against the odds, I just wondered if you still keep uh, any kind of contact with Gunnar Jackson. Writer is his name now. Um, he just left uh, WWE wrestling, and I uh, wonder if you knew what he was up to.
2: Thank you. You know what Gunner's up to these days? Does Garrett keep in touch? Do you keep in touch? Uh,
0: I don't. Garrett does. Um, I mean, I follow him on social media. Um, I'm not sure what he's up to. I get, you know, I I get social media posts every once in a while with him and his family um, out doing non-wrestling things, but I I don't, career-wise, I'm not really sure what he's up to. Garrett would know, and I'll ask Garrett and provide everybody with an update of next week's show.
2: Speaking of Garrett, we've got a question for Garrett here.
0: Hey, Eric and Conrad, this is
1: Matty D's Nitro Dream, and I am a My Push member on Patreon. And my question today for Eric is about TNA's Against All Odds pay per view in 2012. The question that I had for Eric was Does he feel as if his relationship with Garrett? Was one of the reasons why Garrett's push was almost kind of stop-start in TNA. And um, whenever I was looking at the results for this show and looking back on it, I realised that, that Garrett lost the match to Gunnar whenever he was kind of in the middle of his big push. And I know that it was done to put a lot of sympathy on him as a babyface. But does Eric feel as if Garrett would have maybe fared better if he'd won a bit more, a few more matches at the start of his career instead of kind of? That looking like he can't give Garrett too many wins because of who he is. Because I was a big fan of Garrett. You know, I always enjoyed his work in TNA. And I feel like maybe being the son of Eric held him back because Eric had a lot of points to prove and the booking team didn't want to push Garrett too quickly. So it looked like a bit of nepotism. So that was, that was just my question there. But I'm really, I was a big fan of Garrett in TNA. And I felt like... They shouldn't have turned him heel as quickly and given him his alignment with Wes Briscoe. And I wish he'd been able to do a lot more. So thank you for taking my question. Like I always say, big fan of Eric. Huge, huge, huge JD weeks fan. And thank you for answering my question if you get a chance to look at it. Bye.
2: So, yeah, interesting question. You know, do you think in hindsight Garrett should have gotten more wins? Was your position something you even considered with, The way he was booked, I mean, that's a natural question because so many people said that about DDP that, well, I got to be careful because people know that we're friends in real life and I don't want to overpush him, but that was WCW. You learned some lessons there. You're a little older, a little wiser, and it's a, it's a new company, but it is your son. Chat me up. Was that an issue or a concern?
0: It was a concern. And I believe to this day, look, Garrett should have had a better career. He should have had more of an opportunity than he had. Now, I'm, I'm saying that, admitting, by the way, that because of my influence in, in TNA, I was able to get him a position that he probably wouldn't otherwise been in. No, no, I'm not denying that at all. I'm, I'm acknowledging that. Um, that being said, Garrett, you saw, well, I don't know if you saw the promo or not, if we've seen it, or we had to clip it out. Garrett had an amazing ability to cut a promo. I would go over, I would never write it down. I'd talk Garrett through his promos. We'd converse back and forth with no notes. And Garrett would go out there and not repeat everything that we you know rehearsed, but take what we rehearsed and go out and cut a hell of a promo for for someone who had been in the business for five or seven years, he cut a hell of a promo. For a guy who had been in the business for five or seven minutes, his promos were unbelievable. And he had a great look. Still does, but he's a little older now. Um, had an amazing look. had a great physique. He, Garrett is still to this day a hell of an athlete. He got his black belt in martial arts by the time he was 12 or 14 years old. 12 years old, I believe. Um, he's an amazing athlete. Still works out to this day. Again, he's not, you know, not, not, it doesn't have a future in our wrestling business today. But my point is physically, in in terms of his uh, look, in terms of his ability in the ring, go back and watch some of his matches. And look, these are great guys. He's wrestled AJ Styles. He's wrestled Kurt Angle. He's wrestled with guys who were much better than him and have so much more experience than him. And yes, they were in large part, responsible for making Garrett look as good as he did. But Garrett held up his own in those matches. The reason that he he had the stop start in his career was because of politics with regard to my relationship with you. Garrett got cut the same time I did. By the way, I didn't get cut. They breached our contracts. They just quit paying, which was a complete breach of contract. It just wasn't worth suing them for. When you have to spend $200,000 to sue somebody that doesn't have any money, it kind of doesn't make any sense. So we just let it go. But had Garrett had the same opportunity in TNA without me, if his last name was something, if it was Garrett Smith, but that same guy would have had the opportunity to break into TNA, he would have gone much, much further. I did hold him back. And I told him that going in. I had the conversation with him. said, Garrett, here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is you're Eric Bischoff's son, and that's going to create certain opportunities yeah. for you yeah. that you wouldn't otherwise get. The bad news is it's going to be a fucking ton of baggage that you're going to have to carry around for the rest of your professional life in this business. And how you deal with that is going to be the difference between you being successful or not. And my thought, which is, I think, more germane to the real question here, and it was a great question. Thank you for asking it, by the way was whether or not I th- I think in retrospect, perhaps not giving him more wins early on hurt him. And I think it's the exact opposite. Had I done that, it would have been even harder for Garrett. Garrett had no choice but to dig himself out of the hole that he was in because he was my son. And if that meant getting beaten, getting beaten, getting beat, but keeping that fire and and having people relate to you Because you're young, because you're new in this business, because you're going up against people that have a lot more experience than you, people can relate to that. And grabbing a hold of that little piece of psychology and your ability to relate to the audience as a result would provide more of an opportunity for long-term success than coming out and getting a couple wins that people would have gagged on. If you think, oh, the only reason he's got this opportunity is because of Eric Bischoff and his fucking nepotism, blah, 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 blah. That existed even now or during this time in TNA. It existed. Imagine what it would have been if Garrett would have come out and beat Gunner.
2: Yeah, would have been the other way. Nobody would
0: have bought that. Yeah. They would have gagged their guts out on that, including me. So no, I'm I'm very comfortable with the way we tried to build Garrett's career. I wouldn't have changed anything. I don't think it held him back. I think what held him back is TNA.
2: Well, we're not going to be holding back next week because we're going to be watching the uh, the go home edition of Nitro, February seventeenth, nineteen ninety seven. It's the go home for Super Brawl, which is the big rematch with Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper. Roddy is going to be an Alcatraz. Robbie Brookside, that's right. Robbie Brookside is going to be on Nitro to wrestle Dean Malenko. The Outsiders are going to call Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco, uh, Zabisco's punk cards. We're trying to heat up uh, Scott Hall and Larry Zabisco. The Steiners are in a mysterious car crash that the NWO says they have nothing to do with. Prince Iakaea is going to become uh, the, the champ here. And on the other channel, well, Shawn Michaels is going to lose his smile. And oh, yeah. Nick Patrick is taking on Randy Anderson, such a fun episode of nitro. It's what made nitro. So great in 1997 in two weeks, we'll be talking about the actual super brawl show as we celebrate the 25th anniversary of Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan. So much fun, uh, coming down the pike. This is going to be a phenomenal year as we revisit all things, WCW 1997, but you want to talk about fun, Eric, I think the cat's out of the bag. They've reported on social media today. We got plans for WrestleMania weekend kind, sir. We're going to Gillies in Dallas. Super is where you can pick up your tickets. It's going down on Friday, April 1st, 2022, and this is not an April fool's joke, it's going to be Jeff Jarrett, Eric Bischoff, myself, and at least one other person. So I guess the question is, Eric, who's the third man.
0: I, 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 I don't know. You're going to tell me,
2: I'm not going to tell you, but I will tell you this. We will be yeah. announcing our next new podcast at this show. Uh, we do have a special guest there, but we've got a few other tricks up our sleeve because everybody's in town for WrestleMania. We want to be a part of your plans. So here's the thing. If you're going to WrestleCon on uh, Friday, as soon as you finish, come on over, come do a happy hour with Eric Bischoff, Jeff Jarrett, and myself. We've got a VIP meet and greet opportunity here, uh, where you get your autographs with all of our hosts who are going to be on stage that night, a photo opportunity with each host, a very surprise gift. You can't get anywhere else, a really cool event poster and a lanyard. And of course, reserved VIP seating. It's an experience you can't get anywhere else. And of course we've still got general admission, but man, come for the happy hour, come fellowship. Let's have some fun. It's WrestleMania weekend. It's April 1st, Friday night. We're going to go ahead and open the doors for VIP at 5 p.m. We'll get started at 7 p.m. And it is going to be fun on April 1st, Friday night. Pick up your tickets right now at supershowlive.com. That's supershowlive.com. This will sell out. So if you're on the fence, you're not sure if you should do it, let me go ahead and tell you, you should do it right now. This event will be a sellout, especially as we announce some other folks who will be participating. We've still got a couple of surprises, but we're not done announcing names. But just to get us started, Jeff Jarrett, Eric Bischoff, and myself, Supershowlive.com. I'm ready for Dallas, man. Bring it on.
0: I haven't been to Dallas in a long time, and and my good buddy and, and someone who anybody who listens to this show knows, Sonny Ono lives in Dallas now. Um, So I'm going to get Sonny to come on over. Hell, I may even bring Garrett over. Garrett's fun to have a beer with, by the way. You've never met Garrett, have you? I have not, no. I'm bringing Garrett with me. So we're going to have some fun. It'll be a party environment to be sure, but one where we'll have time to interact with fans and share stories and all that kind of good stuff. So I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be a blast.
2: If you can't make it out, uh, still check out SuperShowLive.com. We're going to have all the details of how you can order this event on pay-per-view, but man, you can't get these personal in-person experiences. A happy hour with Eric Bischoff and Jeff Jarrett and more. All the exclusive swag. They're going to sign your stuff. It's going to be a blast, man. Check it out. Supershowlive.com. Tickets are on sale right now. And stay tuned for more announcements from uh, all the folks who are going to be in attendance. But we're going to have a lot of fun. And it's going to be on pay-per-view. Brought to you by Triller or Thuzio or Fight or whatever you want to call it. More details to come. But for, for now, it will sell out. Grab them while you can. Supershowlive.com. And don't forget, you get all of our episodes, including next week's where we break down that super famous nitro, the go home edition for super brawl it's happening at adfreeshows.com. He is at E Bischoff and he's ready for your hate tweets. I am at Hey, yeah. Hey, it's Conrad and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff.
0: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Tylus and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? (laughs) You pay me more. Jeff Smith teaches on the sliding scale. (laughs) Those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search BLEAV on YouTube or wherever you listen.